going on, guys? This is Sandcast Beach Volleyball with Triborn and Travis McWhorter, presented by Marriott Vacation Club Rentals and brought to you by VolleyballMag.com. We have our second coach uh, in a row here this week. Last week, we had LSU coach Russell Brock. Now we got Stanford coach Andrew Fuller. It's going to be a fun one. And before we get to the podcast, just wanted to kind of take a second and express gratitude from both Tri and I. Uh, just with the support that we've had from the beach volleyball community, especially with the the Sandcast wildcard. If you haven't read up on that announcement, you can check on volleyballmag.com. But we, we've had a, a tremendous amount of support from you guys just since the, the podcast began about almost five months ago. It's kind of crazy how fast that has gone by. But the, the support and the feedback that we've gotten has been awesome. And, you know, we're just here to to kind of spread the word of beach volleyball. And, and I know that the, the term and the phrase grow the game is overused, but that is what we're trying to do here on Sandcast. And, and you guys as listeners and the beach volleyball community with your, your feedback and sometimes with generous donations to help us do the projects that we're looking to do, uh, we just wanted to kind of uh, express a, a message of a massive thank you to all you guys and, and stay tuned for more exciting developments to come. And for now, just enjoy our episode with Stanford coach Andrew Fuller. Take us through how, how Stanford's doing so far this year. You are in, this is your third year as head coach of Stanford Beach Volleyball? So this is my second season. Second. And, um, you know, the further I go along in coaching and um, the more I interact with coaches who have been doing this for a really long time, especially at Stanford, the more I am finding that, like, you're just never going to reach a point where you, you know everything, and, um, and that's really cool, and it's, it's something that's really celebrated in the community up here. Um, just that spirit of always feeling like a beginner and a novice, and, um, like, that's not to say we don't, you know, have a vision of where we want to go, but it's cool to, when you are on that path, just to peek around corners and see stuff that was unexpected and um, just peeling back the layers of the onion and, and seeing seeing the game in totally fresh new ways. And, and I think that um, we're super fortunate to have, um, you know, Lauren and Carissa who see the game in, in such unique ways. And then also some of our student athletes, the things that they pick up on and notice in the sport um, are continually informing the way that I approach the game. So it's, it's super fun. Yeah. Now that you're in your second year, what are some of those things that you have learned and picked up? Just if you could kind of dig into some of those specifics, I'm sure that the learning curve is probably pretty steep going from having a sort of an indoor background to coaching beach? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of some specific pieces of, you know, kind of that learning process with our team. Um, I mean, I, the, the less talking I do, the better, the more that I can ask them questions and, <laughs> and help them, you know, kind of do it on their own. That's, that's a big one. Um, it's cool oh, to see. Oh, sorry. It helps. It helps probably to have uh, Lauren around. She's yeah. playing at a completely different level and probably giving you two different perspectives at the same time. Having oh, a coach yeah. like that. Yeah, and I and I think that you know, you, as you guys can attest, like playing beach volleyball is very hard. 
um, and getting better at it is even harder. And I think as coaches, we tend to get a, a little bit of separation from that in an unhealthy way. And so to have two current players on our staff, not including myself, um, you know, they're constantly going through that, <clears throat> the day-to-day struggle of being an athlete. And so they can totally relate to, yeah, like this is freaking hard. And, and for them to, you know, Lauren, Lauren's had a pretty good career as a beach player. Um, and when she tells the players that it's never gotten easier, it's only gotten harder and that she only feels good, like great physically, maybe 10% of the time. And that usually she's working through some dings or some kinks. Yeah. Um, I think that resonates with players a lot more when it's coming from someone who has that sort of experience firsthand and not like firsthand in the past, but firsthand in the present. We all know Lauren takes good care of her body. She, she, always, she always gets the award for most time on the training table. Yeah, she works at it. That's, I mean, that's a good last the girls too. though. What's yeah, that? exactly. I've been taking yeah. I've been taking notes. <laughs> and have you guys have you three adopted kind of different roles on the team or just kind of felt out just what resonates with athletes the best cuz I'm sure that Lauren you know, her coaching, the athletes probably see her in a different perspective than they would you. And they probably see Carissa in a different perspective, too, because Carissa has maybe not that you guys are old, but Carissa kind of maybe can relate to them just socially a little bit more being a little bit younger. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, yeah, you're totally right, especially on the social end. And Carissa went to Stanford and Stanford's a really unique institution. The experience there is is very I don't know. It's a, it's a different place. And, um, so for her to have that experience and then in terms of our roles with the team, um, I have kind of evolved into pulling back into more of a macro view of what's going on, more of a, like a global perspective on the, the shape of the program and the needs and where, what the vision needs to be. And then I tend to, kind of push Carissa and Lauren into more of the micro um, things that are integral, like they're really important, but that I realize if I get too focused on the micro, it kind of disrupts my vision and um, view on things that are on a, on just a, a bigger scale longer term maybe um and things that are not just you know there in front of me um so i it's going from assistant coach to head coach is a it's a huge shift um and it's a super fun challenge though and you mentioned yeah, notice go ahead dry i'm just one of the one of the big things with head coaches like throughout my career even if i mean indoors the only time when i really had a head coach but i've noticed that one of the biggest roles is just making sure you're surrounding yourself with the right assistant coaches and oh, then yeah. surrounding the team with the right tools that they need. And it's, it's, it's a lot different uh, approach than like an assistant who can just focus on teaching the girls the technique right. strategy and, and that kind of stuff. Whereas you have to make sure that they get literally everything from clothes to travel, to playing, to winning, to everything. Yeah, uh, it's, together. Um, so, my hat to you there. 
Yeah, it's super fun, and we've been lucky to to have a really amazing staff. Not only from on like the you know the skills coaching with Carissa and Lauren, but our strength staff is rad and pushing it. And um, and, and something that's been I think important to come to the realization of is that when you know we're inserting different perspectives and voices into their world. Um, because you never know what's going to stick and whether that's us saying things differently, um, or, you know, we, we have a pretty serious mindfulness practice in our program with meditation and breathing and visualization and, and peer acknowledgement. And, um, we've, we've tried not to just have the same person doing it because I think with a lot of different things in performance, not everyone is going to respond the same way um, or like the same thing. And so trying different approaches that are still within the same vein. So we have like one guy who comes once a week, he's a professor in the, um, he does research on the physiological effects of forgiveness at Stanford uh, in the med school. So he'll come by and like, he'll do forgiveness and, gratitude practices with the team and then we'll, we'll have our sports site come in and she does sessions with the team that are very different but in in the same world um and then we have you know a yoga instructor instructor who's teaching mindfulness on a very different level but um you know kind of like taking these these big boulders of what we want our culture to be and just attacking it from different angles that's Man, really cool. You guys I, have. I feel like. Those, Go ahead, try. I was going to say, I feel like those are the kind of thing, all those things that he's talking about right now that you're giving to your girls, giving them the resources to, are all the things that I, I'm trying to uh, gain for myself and learn at the professional level. And I didn't really get a chance to learn all that stuff oh. at the collegiate level. So it's really cool that you're giving your girls the opportunity to to uh, learn it now. And I think it's going to help them for sure as athletes, but, but way beyond that uh, for the girls that don't end up going professional afterwards. Yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, try, you're welcome anytime. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll we'll take you up, you up on there. that. We'll get you up Let's on go. the farm. We're going to pause there for a quick commercial break from our wonderful sponsors. You're listening to Sandcast, Beach Volleyball with Triborn and Travis Mawera, presented by Marriott Vacation Club Rentals and brought to you by VolleyballMag.com. VolleyballMag.com is, of course, your daily digital news source for all things volleyball, from NCAA women and men to beach volleyball on all levels to international and more. VolleyballMag.com, the only media outlet that covers our sport on all fronts every day. This podcast is also brought to you by Marriott Vacation Club Rentals, which offers the best vacation accommodations and the world's best vacation destinations. Wherever you travel to Florida, if you wanted to go visit the FIVB Major, to Hawaii, if you want to go see my boy Tri, the Outrigger Canoe Club, to Europe, to California for any of the AVP and FIVB events out here on the best coast, choose to rest in our luxurious guest rooms, suites, or villas for your next getaway. Villas offer all of the comforts of home, including a full kitchen, living and dining area, and separate bedrooms. Stay with the Marriott name you know and trust, book big spaces and great places today. Visit www. Hi everyone, Amanda Dowdy here. I'm a professional beach volleyball player and I absolutely love the benefits of Firefly Recovery. 
I use the firefly straps to help boost my recovery while I travel, after training or practice, and in between matches at a tournament. It is simple to use, and its small size makes, makes it perfect for travel. Firefly recovery has become a staple in my training regimen, and honestly, it should be in every athlete's gym bag. Check out Firefly Recovery for yourself and change your game. No, go on. Sorry, Travis, you were going to say something. Travis, we, I was, was going to say something similar to what Tri said, and that you guys have an abundance of, of resources, it seems like, and not just just resources in facilities, which I've heard that the Stanford facilities are beautiful, but you have a, a yoga coach, a sports psych a forgiveness coach <laughs> in a way, <laughs> you know, how, how, but when you look back upon like your beach career, even at Lawrence, you know, these college girls are, they have way more, I mean, this is top of the line resources right here. How much of an yeah. advantage is that for these college girls to have it at such a young age to develop, you know, some of these skill sets like meditation, which if I were in college, when I was in college, if someone told me to meditate, I wouldn't have been, had <laughs> right. an open mind at all, right? But they're, right. they're getting these practices that have been scientifically proven to be vital to athletic success. I mean, how much of it, how, how useful is it for you guys to have all this stuff? I, I mean, it's super useful, but if we, we have to frame it in the right way, like what you guys have is exceptional. And um, to let them know that people at the national team level don't have this level of support. I mean, just what they're able to do with all of these different resources. Like, I know that when you're playing professionally, you're getting to dedicate almost all your time to to performance. And, and our student-athletes, like any student-athlete at any school, they're doing so much academically that, you know, they're, they're doing 20 hours max. That's what right. their, their countable limit is. Um, so they're not, it's not like they're doing it for eight hours a day. Um, whereas when Lauren is lifting with the national team, you know, she might have like a three to four hour lift and then two hours of practice. Whereas like you can only do four hours max of athletically related activity in the college world on any given day. But, um, you know, I think that one of the things that really excites me about being at Stanford is the not only the abundance of resources, but the level of access to the resources. And I would be remiss if I was not taking advantage um, of, of people who aren't just easily accessible, but who are super stoked on what's happening in athletics and want to help out. Um, you know, like I reached out to this professor of um, improv, improvisational acting, and, uh, like what a great, uh, and I'm hoping that she can come do a session with the team and what a great, you know, parallel in the performing arts with sports. I mean, sports are basically improv, um, as much as coaches want it to be this kind of like nice, nice and tidy, neatly packaged thing. What the athletes are doing out there is completely improvisational. It's wild, it's messy. And, um, you know, if we can find different ways of, approaching our sport with resources that we have at hand then I think it just maximizes the, the student athlete experience. And and speaking of kind of improv, I know that you know I'm just gonna kinda of take a sidetrack for a second. You have your MFA, right? Oh man, you did some digging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you... So, yeah, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, like, have you ever put that to use? Have you found that creative skill set? Have you found that you've been able to apply that in any way to your coaching? Because I know that with coaching, I mean, you you have to look at things from all angles and, and just figuring out different ways to tackle issues, which is exactly what photography is in a way. And then you mentioned mm-hmm. calling it an improv coach or improv professor. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did a, a master's um, in photography before I really got into coaching. And and that was that was an amazing experience. And actually, like my my final thesis project was was on the. When I say it's about beach volleyball, people are going to think of like pictures of people diving in the sand, which was not what it was at all. <laughs> Um, much more of the time off the court. And, and I know for the, for me as an athlete, when I was on the court, I felt free and, and easy and loose. And it was the time off the court that I struggled to manage, um, whether it was like from an emotional standpoint or just, you know, a psychological standpoint. Um, you know, when you're just lying awake at night thinking about like the partner conundrum you have or, um, how badly you played at practice or, you know, even kind of like the highs that you have when you have a great tournament and you just career and you're feeling great. And so I I think it was really valuable to approach that from a creative standpoint and kind of get things out on paper, literally. Um, And I don't know, I don't think there's one way, like, I, I don't think that, Creativity is the end-all um, way to approach coaching, but I think it's it's my way of approaching it. And there are people who are certainly more analytical than I am and who enjoy statistics more than I do. Or, um, But I think that that's the way that I enjoy going about it. And I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm just trying to be true to me. And you've mentioned a couple times that Stanford is such a unique atmosphere and I know that, I mean, academically, you know, it's number one in the country, hardest school to get into. And, and you've now been at, so you started, you were an assistant at USC and then did a year or two at Long Beach before Stanford. So how is Stanford different, or I guess, I guess kind of compare and contrast, you know, without really like bashing any, any programs, but how do, how does each program differ just culturally from Stanford? Because I'm sure that each program kind of has their own unique culture about it. Yeah. No, and, and I have so much love for Long Beach State and USC. Um, you know, the the folks who I was at those institutions with gave me just so many opportunities and a lot of autonomy. Um, in terms of like institutional differences, it's it's just apples and oranges, and um, you know, certainly the admissions rigor of Stanford is a thing that informs a lot of things about the school. Um, and I, and I think that the admissions rigor also makes for some longer tenured people, um, because when you're coaching there from a recruiting standpoint, it's a difficult place to get to know, um, because of the admission standards. And so... I think you'll see that people tend to stay around there. Um, knock on wood, I would love to be there for my whole career. But, um, yeah, that that's a unique thing. 
in terms of not to compare Stanford anywhere else, um, I think that there's a particular like irreverence to Stanford that I really enjoy. Like, I don't know if you've seen the Stanford band. Um, I think they're kind of a funny embodiment of um, that sort of irreverence. And then there's kind of like this bootstrapping entrepreneurial spirit that you have there um, that kind of permeates throughout the whole school. Um, I know that growing, I grew up, you know, seven miles away from campus. So this is kind of like the school that I knew about growing up, even though I had no chance of getting kicked <laughs> out of my school. Um, and I know that growing up next to Stanford totally messes you up in terms of, I thought that the Stanford band was like a normal college band. <laughs> <laughs> and they're most certainly anything but... Um, I don't know. What I don't know. What other questions do you have? I kind well, I of guess, rambled there. I mean, we're we're all in for rambling and and storytelling. Um, I mean, with yeah. with Stanford's just academic rigor and and standards of admission, how difficult is it to sometimes recruit? Because it, it's not like you know, if a player has a three zero GPA, I mean, that's going to be difficult. Very difficult to get into Stanford, which yeah. just for our listeners, for their knowledge, it's a 4.7% acceptance rate into Stanford, or at least as of last year. I don't know what it was this year. So it's, I it's, think it it's insane. It went a little lower. Yeah, yeah. And it went, it dropped. So, I mean, not more than 95% of applicants get declined. So have you had yeah. the, how do you go about recruiting? I mean, you not only have to have a top of the line athlete because Stanford is a, a top of the line athletic school, but you need some of the brightest minds in the country too. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very self-selecting and that makes some conversations very brief. And, you know, we can talk to a young student athlete who athletically is wonderful. Um, you know, is perhaps a really good culture fit for us and we see a transcript and the conversation just ends right there. Um, and then another way that conversations can either continue or not continue is that we will ask more of our student athletes in terms of their, the rigor of their curriculum, um, of their testing scores and the admissions process than any other school. And so Stanford's a choice and some people don't want to go through the, the work that is required to get there. Um, you know, it's my belief that for the right people, Stanford is worth the work. Um, and is it going to be easy? Not at all. It's going to be, it's going to be really difficult. Um, and people who are up for that challenge go through it and thrive at Stanford. But the nice thing is that if someone isn't up for the challenge, then they won't make it. And it's not a place that they should have been in in the first place. Is it? So, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, is it a is it a battle sometimes? Because I mean, obviously, to get into such a difficult school, they're going to expect you to be doing plenty of academics while you're there. Is it difficult yeah. for you as a coach with that balance between a very demanding academic schedule and program and athletically, what is also a very demanding athletic yeah. schedule and program? Yeah, I mean, if you're trying to be really good at a lot of different things, it's going to be hard. So, you know, we certainly want our 
our student athletes to put academics first. And, um, you know, there are times when we need to reschedule things around to, to make that happen. Um, but something that I really like to hang my hat on as a coach, um, especially at Stanford, is that whatever our student athletes want to do academically, they can do. Is it going to be easy to graduate in uh, chemical engineering? No. <laughs> That's one of the gnarliest majors at Stanford. But our graduating senior last year graduated with a degree in, uh, in chemical engineering while being a starter on the indoor volleyball team, winning a national championship, and then starting for us and crushing it. And, um, like, you know, one of the funny things um, – that the soccer coach at Stanford says, and he's just won his third national championship, is that if you look at the, the Hewlett and Packard buildings on Stanford's campus, um, you, you know, there are other buildings named after people similar to Hewlett and Packard, but those are two pretty noteworthy guys. You know, they probably missed some raging parties here and there. But if you want to be good at something, like, you need to commit to it and you need to pour all your energy into it. Um, and I think that it's, I think it's kind of a generational thing that people these days, and, and I, I would consider myself to be in that generation too. I don't think I'm that far off the mark age-wise from the people that we're coaching. They're kind of told from an early age that they can be good at everything. And I think that as you get into you know, higher altitudes of whatever it is that you're doing, the air is thinner and it's harder and you gotta, you gotta be pretty committed to it. And who are, who are some players that we should be keeping an eye on this year? I know that a name that most people following volleyball have heard is Catherine Plummer. Um, yeah. but yeah, I guess just kind of walk us through your team. Um, you know, who, who we should be keeping an eye on just cause there's not, not an, an abundance of information on, on college beach volleyball. So for yeah. our listeners, you know, who should we keep an eye on? Um, I mean, KP is obviously a pretty, um, fascinating player, um, in just a super fascinating mind to be around, like the way that she dissects the game and the things that she sees, um, uh, pretty remarkable for a, a young person her age. Um, and, and KP is also doing some stuff from just kind of like a technical standpoint that mm, I, like we haven't really seen in players her size like ever. Um, if, if people, if any listeners get to watch her, you know, KP is hand setting every ball that she can, like if it's, if she can get her hands on it, she will. And, um, I'm trying to remember like the last player her size who has ever handset. And I, I would love it if someone could name someone who is six, six and saucing. The closest I could think is summer Ross. Yeah. And like summer's like six, two. Yeah. So, so KP's yeah. got four inches on her and still setting nectar. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's pretty cool. Like I, I think that KP, the way that she plays, has the she has the ability to inspire a young generation of players. Honestly, um, I think people will look at her, and she's just kind of like breaking the um, the history of what it means to be a tall player and how to play. She's just kind of like shattering that over her knee. 
Um, and, and I'm not trying to say that KP is playing at like the highest level in the world right now, but the, the approach she's taking and the chances that she's taking and the risk um, to really evolve her game, those are the things that I'm, I'm really most stoked about. Like, it's not where she is right now. It's the, the way that she's approaching the future of her game and where she wants to be 10 years from now. It's got to make it a little easier on the girls to challenge themselves when they have someone like Lauren and, and Carissa uh, there um, coaching. But do, do Lauren and Chris ever get out there kind of? Yeah, like they, they play all the time. Yeah, they play all the time. And, and Carissa really is funny because if anyone's seen Carissa Cook play, she does a lot of um, – like she grew up playing beach with – a bunch of old people in Santa Cruz. And so she, <laughs> like, she plays like this old fart, like in a very athletic way. So just over on ones and like these funny, weird on twos. And um, she just kind of opens our players' minds to different ways of going about it. And then, you know, Lauren is bringing kind of this level of power that you see at the the world tour level that you don't right. see quite as much in the college. Um, and then, you know, Lauren is kind of a shifty blocker and she takes this big load and it's like very hide and hide and, um, pop out of the box kind of blocking, like very similar to you try, um, in, in some sure. of like the, the hand dragging and, and out of body yeah. hand positioning. And huh. some of the players are like, Holy shit. Like, you're allowed to do that. Like you can just reach your hand there. Like I don't have to just reach up and down. Um, and yeah, so I'm learning. Just, uh, they, uh, they actually played in the tournament together, right? Recently. Yeah. They played in the Hague. Um, the tournament that, um, uh, was in January, um, near Amsterdam and that was the super cool experience that was Carissa's first FIVB and we right. traveled as a whole staff and obviously traveling to the Netherlands is a super fun experience in itself yeah that's so unique yeah um, and try something that we've been talking about a lot in our program is kind of going off of conversations I've had with you about um, baby court at Outrigger and yeah I loved hearing you talk about you know, what you learned as a player, kind of the angles of the game and the physics of it just from a, from a young age. Um, and that's something we're going to try and apply to youth clinics that we're doing at Stanford, where we get that net down a little bit, shorten up. Yeah. The board. Um, I don't, don't want to tell everyone my secrets, <laughs> but no, uh, I actually still do that. I I'll go over to the girls net, uh, and do blocking over there. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's mostly so I can get that handwork where I'm really able to penetrate like I would be on a max jump, but not having to tax my legs. And that's right. kind of what it was like up on a small, on that baby court back in Hawaii that Andrew's talking about. Yeah. I was a kid, but blocking up above the net with my nose up at the top of the net. So, so I've been doing these movements with my hands for years. And yeah. I actually went down in Hermosa the other day and I was walking by, I haven't started training yet, but I was walking by the uh, paddle tennis courts and I, I walked up while they were playing and like it and those that thing is perfect height for me to do hand blocking moves without even jumping it's pretty yeah. awesome it's gonna be yeah. my new thing is yeah, on the, i mean 
man, when you told me about that, that was such a gift of not just like an idea of what baby core means, but like your firsthand experience of it. And yeah, and I think that's such an, an incredible message for, for coaches everywhere to let's, let's get these little kids off of the big net that's too high for them and, and let them experience the game at a clip and at, with angles that are going to be what the future of their sport is like. Um, yeah, the nature of that was, that was like one of the best conversations I've ever had. That was super cool. Well, let's have more of those. I, uh, I was actually listening to, um, some of the basketball commentators talked the other day and they were talking about youth basketball and how they don't want, uh, their kids to have to go and play on 10 foot rims when they're really young, you know, or even eight, right. like they, they want them to bring it all the way down. So they don't get stuck. Like they were using Steph Curry as an example, which, I mean, obviously he figured it out, but he, yeah. uh, he, he had to completely change his shooting style because he had to shoot from the hip because right. he wasn't strong enough to get it all the way up to the 10 foot basket. So it threw off his technique. Eventually he, now he's the best shooter in the world, but, um, they want kids to be able to use that regular technique from a young yeah. age. And right now it's like on a high net kids are like doing full arm swings just to get it over the net. Right. They're, it looks like they're shot putting. Yeah, exactly. Or, like, or just getting like the most insane lumbar extension backbend. Yeah, yeah, that, exactly. You know, trying to fling like all of their eighty pounds into getting the ball over the net that's too high and the ball is too heavy and the court's too big. And blocking doesn't exist. Right, and they've never hit against a block before. Yeah. Yeah. We're on to something. We'll we'll start the baby court league for kids. Dude, dude. AAU or <laughs> baby court league. That'd be great. I might try and play in those too. I don't, I don't like jumping too much anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll and an adult league for you how, and yeah. then uh, this is from How tall are you, Andrew? You're about what, six eight, six nine? Uh, six nine, yeah. Six nine with no hops and like just zero gas on the ball. <laughs> <laughs> no, you played in uh or uh actually i think we played each other a few times right when you were we playing when i other? first came out yeah you were playing with carlson and then with monty i think and, oh, yeah, and you and, I remember you you and beat monty us in- were just all over my case and i think you guys <laughs> just put the nail in the coffin <laughs> good old <laughs> will montgomery i can't get by this try kid i gotta hang it up <laughs> Start coaching. God, I'm going to get out of the game. <laughs> well, how was your experience playing in um, Pan American Games? Because I, I was actually there in, it was uh, yeah. Guadalajara, but I was yeah. there playing on the national team indoors. And I know that was a huge deal. I mean, that's a full on Pan American Games is the North American Games and like full opening ceremonies. It basically feels like the Olympics, but. How's that experience on the beach? And you guys did well to taking the fifth. Yeah, it was super cool. Um, I was really green. I hadn't really competed internationally. Um, and man, so Mark Van Sweeten and I played together and um, we decided that, first of all, I'm left-handed. So the amount of time I've spent playing on the left side of the court is just a fraction of the time I've been on the right side of the court. 
And uh, as a team and as a coaching staff, we kind of felt like Mark was siding out a little bit better from the right. So it was this really great learning experience of, okay, holy crap, I've got like two months to figure out how to play on the left, two months <laughs> how to figure out how to set from the left, which I think is even harder than like trying to figure out the siding out piece. And then, um, I, you know, I bump set when I was practicing, maybe like 25% of a practice I would bump set and 75 I'd go hands. And I'm just like way more confident with my hands. And, um, like the first match of this tournament, we're down in Puerto Vallarta and it is like 95 degrees, 95% humidity. I'm just like roasting so hard. And if anyone's seen me, I'm very fair skinned. And when I get in the sun, like I just turn beet red and, um, they call my first handset. I'm like, Oh no, it's seemed a little tight, but uh, I'll go for it again. They call my second handset and I end up just bump setting the rest of the tournament. Oh, no. <laughs> it was just like, it was very improvisational and we did okay. We didn't have the most amazing tournament. Um, but that was also my first experience having like a dedicated beach coach working with me with, and it was Jeff Conover who was just, the coolest coach to work with. And for those of you who don't know, Jeff is now the tournament director for the AVP and Jeff was just the freaking, the best vibes. And he totally understood me and it was great. And then we had uh, Brady Compton doing, um, video work. And this is my first experience, like seeing data volley and having someone code our matches and scout and, for me, like having never experienced that when we had someone breaking stuff down on video and showing our opponent's tendencies, it was like playing a video game. I was like, Oh my God, Mark, it's working. <laughs> like, yeah. Things like us are actually coming to fruition. Like, Oh, when this guy's wide, he swings angle sharp. So just block that. And, um, that was a, it was a super cool experience. And, um, you know, one certainly that I'm very thankful for. Now, seven years later, you get to just nerd out on all that stuff. Dude, it's, it's so crazy. <laughs> it's your full-time job now. Yeah, just geeking out on coded video. <laughs> and I love it. One of the, so what, one of the, as a, as a full-time kind of freelance writer, uh, I do kind of a number of different things. And one of them is that I, I help high school kids with their college application essays. Oh, nice. And a lot of the kids in, in Orange County are exceptional academically, like kids who are applying to Stanford and expecting to get in. And I'm reading their writing and I'm learning from them. I'm like, holy cow, like this is, you know, like upper, upper level writing from a 17, yeah. 18 year old kid. I'm sure that you probably have a similar experience coaching some of these kids who are, at the, you know, they're the top, you know, 1% of 1% of their high school classes. How much have you learned just from coaching these kids too? Mm, dude, so much. Um, I've learned that if I don't have a damn good reason for doing something, they're going to find the holes in it. <laughs> and just blow me up. <laughs> and that, that's like, that's, the greatest gift. Um, and then 
so like whether whether that's like um some game or drill that i come up with and you know i have like some scoring structure they'll like immediately pounce on the loophole of it (laughs) and (laughs) i'll just have to be like all right you guys are right we're never doing that again (laughs) next thing you're really kept on your toes dude they just crush me all the time you have some of the Um, smartest athletes in the country and then your assistant coach is or (laughs) your assistant coach and your wife is one of the best blockers in the U.S. And yeah. their assistant coach is a player on the domestic oh tour. Oh, my God. I mean, what's that, what's that old adage, like, surround yourself with people who are better than you? Like, at right. any given point, I am the dumbest person in the room. And like... <laughs> <laughs> but you're so smart for keeping them all around. You just keep them all happy and, and oh. moving forward and doing what they do well and and that's Dude, basically feed them good food you know get them some cool gear and we'll be all right um unleash the beast yeah and then the other thing other than them like poking out poking holes in everything i do um so one we we do a lot of individual meetings and our, our last round of individual meetings we asked them to bring in like a research paper or study. And I think this is something that like every coach can do. I don't think this is, you know, unique to Stanford. Um, but our, our team brought in just the most interesting studies and we asked them to, you know, find stuff that would relate somehow to their craft and getting better at beach volleyball and the ownership that they took of finding just really cool research, um, you know, about like, self-organizing strategies in basketball at the end of games. Like that was a study that Plummer brought in. Um, and then like the, the bonuses and the positives of placebo effect in the athletics arena. That was something that Courtney Bowen brought in. Um, how like placebo is actually helpful in sports. It's kind of like the superstitious stuff. Like if you think that you play better with a certain knee brace on, like you probably play better with it on. Um, and then one of our freshmen, Kate Formico, she brought in this study from the university of Arizona, um, about how thinking about your own mortality makes you perform better in sports. (laughs) So (laughs) like super cool stuff. So now we joke cause Kate's this super sweet person and we're like, Kate, Hey, this is, we, we need something. Can you just remind us quickly that we're all going to die one day? <laughs> <laughs> and she just like says it's super deadpan. Yeah. Hey guys, just remember we're not going to be here forever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Works. Yeah. You know, do whatever it takes. It must be fun to coach a group like that too, that it ju- they just seem like they're just so eager to learn. Like they're bringing in studies from the university of Arizona, which if anybody has ever read a study, these things are not page turners. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I usually skip to the abstract. I'm like, they're like digging into the the, the hard numbers. They're looking at like the methodology of these things. Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Give me some spark notes. Yeah. And with, with you, Andrew, I mean, at one point you were doing so many different things. You were helping out with USAV. You were coaching Lauren and you were coaching Stanford. How difficult is it to balance all three of these different things, all three of which demand very different, uh, I guess, perspectives from you? 
Yeah. Well, I'll, you know, I'll tell you the gnarliest thing was when I was an assistant coach at USC, I was coaching Lauren and Brooke Sweat and, um, we would practice from seven to nine in the morning and man, thank God for them to, to do that because they didn't have to go at seven to nine. They did that to accommodate my schedule. And I mean, gosh, no, no pro athlete deserves to practice at seven every morning, but they were such ballers about it. So I, I would coach them seven to nine. I would grab burritos from brothers, burritos and Hermosa drive straight to SC, get up there at like 10 in the morning. Um, and then coach there until like five or six. And, um, I, I don't think that that's exceptional in the coaching world. Like, I think there are a lot of people who grind it out way harder than that. Um, but for me, like that was, that was just kind of an eye opening thing of, man, you gotta, you need to get your shit together from a mental perspective, or you are going to be fried by the end of this. And, um, that really turned me on to, um, meditation and a mindfulness practice and getting, uh, just a little bit of quiet time. I think that, and I think that is good for our, for me to have some experience with that because we are living and coaching in a world where we are just so over, so oversaturated with information and stimuli that, um, to get some quiet time, I found out firsthand how important that is. I don't know if that answered your question, Travis, but <laughs> no, it did. And I'm, I'm wondering, Susu, are you still coaching Lauren now or have you, or are you guys kind of, is that, would that be almost too much business? <laughs> the relationship? Yeah, no, I'm not coaching her anymore. I mean, we, we still talk every day about some facet of volleyball. So like, we're coaching each other all the time and, um, and that's super fun. But, um, I, I've, I've really just poured my efforts into Stanford now and, um, you know, just giving, giving that everything that I have really. And I, I have read that you have a motto, maybe this was at USC that, uh, you told your, your players that we need to make more mistakes, right? Meow. <laughs> oh, <what's that? laughs> so uh, a, a, anytime that that super troopers can be worked into coaching right. advice i'm in i'm all in <laughs> right and, and it, it feels like that the younger the players get the less movie references mean anything <laughs> <laughs> so now i'm just like becoming super irrelevant year by year um <laughs> No, but I, like I, I do think that talking about making mistakes and like creating a culture where mistakes are not just like encouraged but celebrated is is pretty important for growth. Um, and and that isn't just about the coaches celebrating it, but like having your teammates celebrate when you they can see that you're going for something um, and making a mistake in the process is something that I think having teammate support is, is almost even more important because I don't know, you kind of, you start tuning coaches out. Like I get that. I, I don't blame players for that, but I, I don't think you 
tend to tune out your teammates as quickly. Um, so anyway, no, I'm glad someone remembered something I ever said. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm what I'm wondering is at Stanford, is that almost a hard message to get across? Because on the one hand, we we all know that that making mistakes is one of the fastest way to learn, or not just making mistakes, but understanding what went wrong and how to correct it in that mistake right. is an excellent way to learn. Yeah. But going to Stanford, these are kids who so very rarely fail at anything. So right. is that is that tough for them to accept that failure is a part of the process when going you know throughout high school most of these kids got perfect SAT scores. So failing is a pretty new concept. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's gnarly for them, and and it's important for me to understand that like that it's really emotional and heavy, and that this is probably the first time that they've faced some serious adversity and probably their first failures for setbacks, maybe the first B they've ever gotten in their lives. Um, and all of a sudden you're in the same classroom as someone who um, is just way better at what you're doing than you are. And, um, you know, we're the book mindset by Carol Dweck is really, really important to our program. I know it's important to a lot of sports at Stanford and, but I mean, just sports at any school or team or whatever. Um, and we're lucky that the author of mindset, Carol Dweck is a professor at Stanford. And so it's, I think if someone else, like if that book had been written elsewhere and then we were trying to apply it, it wouldn't carry the same sort of, gravitas that it does because it was written by a Stanford professor. Like this is research that is done at your institution on the positive effects of having a growth mindset, um, when you're facing failure and making, putting that book and that philosophy kind of at the core of everything that we're doing. Um, it doesn't make it like super smooth. Like it, I think making mistakes is always going to be this clunky, awkward process, but having a framework around it to navigate those waters. And, um, I think, I think that helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I need to read that book. Actually, I've been hearing about it for years, but yeah, haven't gotten yeah. around to it. I wish I had read it when I was like 14 years old. I think, I think I could have done <laughs> a little bit better in my young adulthood. <laughs> Next time I'm over, try I'll I'll bring it on over. That was I read that. One. It's a fast read too. It's only like 140 pages. It's uh, it's yeah, good stuff. It's quick. So I'll, I'll bring it by for you. I'm really good at reading the first half of books. <laughs> I'm a starter. I don't finish books. <laughs> I should start but with the second half. Just a bit. You, if you read the first 50 pages, you'll you'll get it. Oh yeah, I, I need yeah. To, I need to get better at sort of cutting books off because sometimes even if I'm miserably reading this thing, I just feel so <laughs> obligated to finish the book <laughs> that I just grind right? my way through it. <laughs> yeah, I'll teach you. I know. I, I tend to uh, somehow justify every time, like, yeah, you know, I I think I got it. I got the point. <laughs> Wait, this, other, this other book over here looks pretty cool, <laughs> and then I'm super into it, and then I justify, yeah, got it. I think I understand there, everything. <laughs> there was a, a really amazing podcast 
um, episode on Freakonomics that they were talking about the upside of quitting. It's such an incredible episode. They were talking about how if you're going to fail, fail fast and fail hard. <laughs> and then like just the quicker that you do that in life, the faster you get to the things that you love. Ah. I'm going to have like to listen. That. I've heard great things about that podcast. I'm going to have to start listening to that one. It's so rad. Yeah, it's awesome. We're going to pause there for a quick commercial break from our wonderful sponsors. You're listening to Sandcast Beach Volleyball with Triborn and Travis Mawera, presented by Marriott Vacation Club Rentals and brought to you by VolleyballMag.com. VolleyballMag.com is, of course, your daily digital news source for all things volleyball, from NCAA women and men to beach volleyball on all levels to international and more. VolleyballMag.com, the only media outlet that covers our sport on all fronts every day. This podcast is also brought to you by Marriott Vacation Club Rentals, which offers the best vacation accommodations and the world's best vacation destinations. Wherever you travel to Florida, if you wanted to go visit the FIVB Major, to Hawaii, if you want to go see my boy Tri at the Outrigger Canoe Club, to Europe, to California for any of the AVP and FIVB events out here on the best coast, choose to rest in our luxurious guest rooms, suites, or villas for your next getaway. Villas offer all of the comforts of home, including a full kitchen, living and dining area, and separate bedrooms. Stay with the Marriott name you know and trust. Book big spaces and great places today. Visit www mbcrentals.com and now Love it. we're going to move on to our final segment here the fan questions um, oh, so we, we, we open it up they're, they're pretty, uh, pretty nice to you here um, and our, our first one and this is a, a great question here is from AJM uh, as a coach <laughs> as a coach with the USA beach team what should USAV be doing to make our teams more competitive on the FIVB? I'm pretty interested in that one. Huh. Um, so I think that USA Volleyball is doing a good job going in this direction of encouraging young players to handset. Um, I think that if we look at programs that have done a lot with very little, we should look at especially the Dutch program. Like that is a small ass country with not a lot of athletes who's done exceptionally well um, in, in both genders and something that is encouraged from a very young age in the Netherlands is hand setting. Um, and being tall. It being tall. They're good at being tall. <laughs> <laughs> they have some big kahunas out there for sure. Um, but I, I love what the Dutchies do with hand setting. I think that's something that we can emulate. Um, what else? I, I think that on the, the women's side, we're going to see so many amazing players coming out from the collegiate beach scene um, who have had great training, great strength and conditioning, and have learned the nuances of the beach game from a much younger age. Um, I think that's something that's been... Um, hard for the American women is that they've all been playing indoor volleyball through college, maybe through a little bit of a professional career overseas. And it takes time to really learn, especially like with wind, you know, wind is such a feel thing that you can't just quantify and, you know, have any sort of, you know, system of this happens, you do this, this happens, you do this. Um, and so to get get that long-term experience of the environmental factors of beach volleyball, I think is huge. 
Um, trying to go back to AJ's question. I'm guessing this is AJ Mahalik. Um, I think those are big. And, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with those two right now. And, and one thing, just uh-huh. while we're on the topic of USAV and FIVB, you look at what Brazil is doing, and they're, they're just roster from top to bottom. I mean, Brazil's like number 10 team could probably be in the top 25 in the world if there were no country quotas. What, right. is, what is Brazil doing, do you think, that, that maybe the USA is not? Is it just kind of a cultural thing that they value beach volleyball more? How, how can the U.S. keep up with Brazil when you know, they got Alvaro and Simon, who won a major in Fort Lauderdale last <laughs> yeah. season, aren't even and getting, like aren't even getting out of their own country quotas? <laughs> Yeah, it's so gnarly. I mean, I think the popular popularity is huge. Um, a lot of the best athletes in Brazil, if they are too tall for soccer, they're probably doing volley. Um, but I think I think that's pretty key. Having that sort of love and like that home country fervor for your sport and what seems to be a pretty thriving domestic tour where young players can get experience. Um they have a completely different economic system where they can hire four coaches at a practice and get a volume of repetitions um, and touches that you you can't buy in America. Like you can't pay some guy twenty bucks a week to come and smash balls at you like you can in Brazil. <laughs> like talking to, to people who have trained in Brazil, they're, they're just like, Oh my God, you know, the number of reps I got was insane. Yeah. Um, I think they have a, a nice education system for their coaches. I think that helps. Um, and I think USA is refining its coaching education year by year and that's helping. Um, but I don't know. What do you guys think? God, I think, well, I know that, that, USA Volleyball is making some big changes right now. Mm-hmm. They just brought in Tyler Hildebrand, as you know. Yeah. And uh, from what I've heard, and I've just kind of been lingering around USA Volleyball just because I've been bored. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, they're, it seems like they're trying to take it in that direction where, where they have a coaching staff overseeing all the teams and, and being a little bit more objective in terms of who gets to be on the national team and who gets the support. And it doesn't, it's not just based on your points ranking. It's, Hey, we think this person has a better potential to perform than you do. So you're going to get dropped out of the system, which is what Brazil does. Brazil will even kick out their old guys. If, it, right. if that were the case, then everyone would be kicked out in the U S because yeah. uh, they're all old guys right now. Yeah. Um, but do you, do you think, uh, do you like the direction that, that they seem to be going in terms of being more objective, selecting players, being open to indoor players coming out and, and basically like putting together teams and, and, and having coaches oversee practices rather than everyone being on their own. It's like a, na- a little bit more of a national team feel. You think yeah. that's going to help USA? Cause a lot of the older players have always been like, you know, that's going to take away our freedom to do what we think is best for us individually. And, and I get that right. too. You know, you want to do exactly what's best you think you can perform best under, but right. for them, they want to 
they want to see if uh, they want to do whatever's best for the national team as a whole. Right. Yeah. You know, I don't know the right answer. Um, I don't know how it's going to go. I see pluses and minuses to both. Um, one big positive I yeah. see is um, kind of a consolidated training structure where you have like training groups and you have specific focuses. Um, and I, and I think that Tyler is really cool in understanding a lot of different styles of play and having some really, really cool ideas on how to kind of push the envelope with, with the gameplay. Um, and I think training groups are something that the pro scene in America has kind of been missing because people just kind of like to operate on their own Island. And, um, you know, there, there's this sort of secretive way of operating when, you know, you want to be playing against really good people in practice, but you don't want them knowing what you're working on. And you see all these like very hushed conversations and it doesn't feel like a, like a cooperative environment. It's, um, so yeah but the other the flip side of that is that i think that when when you have the american structure where people are you know groveling to get into it and forking over their own money and investing in themselves before usa invests in them it just like it creates dogs who are willing to fight for stuff and I think when you pit like an American who's just been fighting so hard for everything they've gotten in the sport and pit them against someone from another country who's just been like selected through and passed up the chain because they're the biggest right. kid or like, I think in those tight moments, you see people who are dogs winning out more often. I like that. I like that um, idea. And so I don't know if there's a way where people um, like it, where the, the system can be creating dogs who just scratch and claw for everything they get um, at the same time as like having a little bit more of a selected culture. Um, you know, people like, and I, and I hope this comes across in like the most respectful way, but like Nick Lucena, like Nick played at Florida state on the club team. And, and I, and I think in a lot of points in his career, if it was like a USA selection structure, I don't think Nick would have been picked. Right. But that guy's a freaking animal. And like, just one of the toughest gnarliest people who is playing this sport in the world. And I think that he's like a, a really prime example of someone who's just scratched and clawed for everything he's gotten. And, yeah. and I think when you see Nick playing in those big moments, like, dude, I have so much respect for him, just the way that he battles through injuries and pain and getting served a thousand percent of the balls in every match. And I don't know. I don't know if we would have gotten Nick with a different way. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't see there being a, a one way is right or wrong. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Something something inside me is like saying that some kind of change is going to be good, and and it might not be better, but it's going to be different, and it'll it'll 
bring out new things in people and and i think it'll be good for the sport in yeah. general even though part of me wants to be like wants it to be the old way because that's how i've been doing it and, and i am comfortable in, yeah. in this system but but change just seems in our sport as a whole i, I think there's so much more potential out there so yeah it's good even though it's scary totally I'm, I'm really excited to see where it goes very cool and we'll move on to, we'll do two more fan questions. I know we, we've kept you here for a while, so I appreciate you spending so much time on a Monday no, night here sorry. with us. No, sorry. Dude, I just started talking. I'm sorry. I love it. I mean, these these always end up going longer than we expect because <laughs> the, like, the conversations are fun. Like, I love talking about this stuff and just nerding out on volleyball. Yeah. Um, so Wolfgang wants to know if you could be any female volleyball coach, who would you be and why? Wait, like, like I, I'm so confused. It's like if you wanted to trade places with, say, Anna at USC. Oh, gotcha. Or, I mean, you know, we can just open this up, too. I mean, if you want to just, like, swap in with John Mayer at LMU, too. That's <laughs> um, gosh, you know who I would love to swap spots with is... Um, Helka, who is one of the coaches for Laura Ludwig and Kira Walkenhorst. Ooh, um, that's a great answer. They've they got a freaking cool coaching staff. Helka, Jurgen, and this other guy. And um, it, it sounds like they kind of like have this rotation of coaches going. And man, having like scouted against that team yeah, uh, they are so complex and they do so many different things that you have to be held accountable for when you're playing them, um, that they're doing some, some really cool stuff. Um, so I think, and the fact that they speak German and I can never understand anything they're saying <laughs> just adds to the int- history. <laughs> and when you, I'm really interested So when you scout a team like, Ludwig and, and Walkenhorst, who for a while were the number one team in the world. I mean, what are you looking for? What did you guys find? Because obviously everyone's looking for tendencies, and the success rate against them wasn't super high. So what yeah. What did you see when you were scouting them, and what kinds of stuff were you looking for? Um, man, you're looking like for very small situational opportunities to score a point. Um, and the, they're so gnarly defensively that, um, like, you have to side out well to stay in the game. Looking for um, transitional liabilities where, like, we don't, we don't have a great clean swing, go to this spot and live to see another day knowing that their transition percentage is lower from that spot. Um and they're a team that, like, if you don't bring it from the service line, I mean, just most good teams, if you don't bring it from the service line, you're not going to be in a, a position to win. Um, and, and I think that young players, when another team is in system and they just get smashed on, that can be really deflating. But when you're playing a great team and they are in system, knowing that, you're going to have to take some serious chances to score a point. Um, that was one of Jeff Conover's big things. Um, as a coach, I loved it. I loved learning this from him, just that 
when teams are in system, you got to take chances to score points. When teams are out of system, that's when you can be a little bit more conservative. And that's what that's kind of what Reed Pretty's thing this offseason has been. He, you know, he says the the best defense for an undersized team is a good serve. He yeah, because if you know if if you have Phil Dahlhauser in system against you know a six two and a six four player, yeah, because you, you, good luck, <laughs> you know. Yeah, 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 for sure. And then we'll uh, we'll have one more fan question here, and then we will let you off the rope. Um, I, I don't even know how to pronounce this name. This is just from a user user on Volley Talk. Um, what is your best or worst, depending on one's perspective, Anna Collier story? So you, you worked, uh, you coached with her for a couple years, right? Oh, oh, oh boy, three and a half years. We shared an office. <laughs> we shared an office about as big as a custodian closet. <laughs> oh my! For two of those years. Um. Best and worst story. I got a story. You have a story? Well, a little one. When I first met her, she was the like doing tryouts for the youth national team. And I was yeah. trying to make the world university games. And first day of practice, she's uh I, I made like some like honest mistake. I think I just like hit a ball out. Like something just normal. <laughs> and she yelled at me. I didn't even know who she was really. She was yelling at me. I will cut you like screaming at me and pointing me. And when she was saying that, I thought she was saying she was going to cut me like, like, like with a knife. Like that's how it came off. Cause she was yelling it at me. <laughs> I was like, Oh, who is this lady? Oh my God. She says she's threatening to cut me. And then I realized she was threatening to cut me from the team. But, um, that's, you know, it, sometimes things come off that way. <laughs> You know, it's, I don't know if it's, it's not really like a singular story, but I think it's like a singular theme and something that I'll always be very thankful for is like the amount of responsibility and autonomy that Anna gave me as a young coach. Um, for me, like she was very willing to let me just do things and make a shitload of mistakes and, um, I think that's like a pretty irreplaceable coaching experience. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know. It's not really like a really good anecdote, but definitely something that I'll be thankful for. Awesome. And then kind of just one wrap up question here for you that we're trying to sort of make uniform on Sandcast to end up with is, you know, if you could give advice to any young up and coming volleyball player, what would that piece of advice be? Oh man. Um, can I do three? Yeah. As many as you want. Um, play different sports. I think that people are just specializing way too early. Um, I think that number two would be stop doing sports for a certain amount of time during the year and just get a job. I think that the experience of having a boss as a young person and having someone straight up just tell you, no, you can't do that or I'll fire you (laughs) (laughs) is is something that you can't really (laughs) replicate in sports. Um, I still need a job. 
<laughs> Me too. I don't. I don't really consider this a job. I'm holding out, <laughs> dude. Keep it up. This You're is your. Great. This is your job, Try. You're the boss. Yeah, dude. No, that, that job. In. That job experience probably would have come in handy this last year when I sat out. <laughs> um, third thing. This is gonna sound like a plug for Stanford, but read Mindset by Carol Dweck. Um, I would have said that if I wasn't coaching at Stanford. And well, That's I mean, just, half of I think probably about half the guests on the podcast have said the same. So it's uh, definitely not just they? A, not just, oh, uh, almost everyone has has stressed it. I mean, Dahlhauser talked about it. Billy and John, obviously. I mean, they're they're Carol yeah. Dweck disciples. <laughs> you know them. Uh, yeah, it comes up a lot. Uh, that's cool. It's a uh, it's a game changer. Yeah, we appreciate you spending so much time to chat with us here, especially during the the middle of a, a really busy season for you. No doubt. Love talking to you guys. Thanks for letting me ramble on. Hope it didn't waste too much of uh, your time or your <laughs> listeners. <laughs> no, <laughs> this you. is fun. And now, where can we find uh, either you or the Stanford? Um, volleyball team on social media where can we kind of follow along with you guys yeah so it's uh at stanford beach vb um that's across all platforms and then um i will retweet about one thing every six months so i wouldn't even bother <laughs> looking me up on twitter um and i think instagram is a cool service but for me by and large a waste of time um, uh, man, I don't know about social media. I'm kind of, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a whole nother podcast. Uh, I don't know what, I'm not sure how much value we're getting out of that as a society. <laughs> I think as more and more people study it, we're seeing that it, it is degenerative. <laughs> it's not adding yeah. a lot of value. I think going outside and like, getting some sunshine is probably a little more valuable <laughs> which is yeah, why we play beach volleyball yeah baby way to tie it in there you go. <laughs> i do what i can well again yeah, andrew so- <laughs> we appreciate you coming on uh good luck the rest of the season good luck to stanford hey thanks thanks to you guys you guys are doing an awesome thing keep it up um and looking forward to seeing you in the sunshine at some point all right 